Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. You've not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The word once more indicates the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. Now over to Steve. Thanks, Isaac. Uh, lovely to be here. Nice to see you all. Uh, if you're new, my name is Steve, and I'm going to be sharing today. It's great to uh, great to be with you. There's nothing like a good ending. You know, good ending to a story, good ending to a film, good ending to a true story. We love when all the loose ends are brought together, all the character development sort of comes together, and all the ups and downs have a satisfying conclusion. Leanne and I, during COVID-19, uh, are reading, she's rereading, I'm reading for the first time, believe it or not, all the Narnia series, the seven books by C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis is a master of a good ending. When Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 29, is a great ending to a magnificent letter. It's the sort of climax or crescendo. It's the moment where the argument and, and everything that's been going on comes to its conclusion. Now, if you know your Bible and you know the book of Hebrews, there is one more chapter to go. So you may be thinking, how is this the climax? Well, if you remember back way back week one of the sermon series in this book of Hebrews, uh, Dustin shared that it's actually less of a letter and more of a sermon. It's, it's full of passion and persuasion and, and, and illustrations and imagery. And it's as if the sermon got written down. And this is the climax, chapter 12, 18 to 29 of the sermon, the crescendo. And then chapter 13 is like a pastoral postscript. And we'll look at that over the next two weeks. So it's a bit like a lot of stories. A great battle is won. The story has its climax. And then afterwards, there's a postscript. Uh, How life continued afterwards. For example, in Narnia, Peter, Susan, Enderbund, and Lucy, they lived as kings and queens of Narnia after the White Witch had been defeated. Or if you're a Harry Potter fan, uh, Ron and Hermione and Harry and all the others, they sort of carried on and we learn about their life, spoiler alert, after Lord Voldemort is defeated. A good ending. 
And one of the ways the writer of the book of Hebrews brings his sermon to a conclusion is he moves from the imagery of running a race, which is how chapter 12 started, and being on a pilgrimage, which is how a lot of the letter is, to now we arrive at a destination. Did you see that in verses 18 and 22? It says this, you have not come to a mountain that could be touched. Verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion. We're no longer running a race. We're no longer on a pilgrimage. We have arrived. And as we're going to see, the place where we have arrived is something to behold. Our destination is magnificent. It's a bit like when you walk up a mountain uh, or a hill or, you know, Kalini Hill just outside uh, Dublin or something. And, and, you know, it's tiring and there's, it's steep and you're sweating and, and you, you know, the kids want to give up. And you, you, but you keep going and then you get to the top of the hill and you look around you and the destination, the, the pinnacle is magnificent. And you can breathe a sigh of relief and take it all in. So what is our destination as Christians? And we're going to see this destination is in the future, but it's already arrived. So where have we arrived as Christians? Well, the writer says, we've arrived at the eternal city of joy. And we belong to the unshakable kingdom of God. That is our destination as Christians. Has there ever been a more needed time in recent history for the church to be reminded of its destination, of where it belongs, of where it is? As our world comes all around us, as people are no longer sure what is certain and what they can find joy in and what they can hope in and where their security can lie, we say, ah, we have come. We know exactly where ours is. We have confidence in an eternal city of joy that is ours and in the unshakable kingdom of God to which we belong to. And that's our context. What about the context of the original hearers? The letter was written, the Hebrews is written in the first century to a group of Christians who had come from a Jewish background and had started the faith well, but were tempted to give up. And they were tempted to give up on Jesus and resort back to their Jewish ways because following Jesus was costly. And what we see from the context is it was a world that was crumbling. There was financial instability. They weren't kept given certain jobs. Were, their property was confiscated. There was physical and personal uncertainty. Some of them were put in prison. There was relational isolation. They were cut off from a lot of their, their you know, they were persecuted. So it's different from COVID-19, but is it not the same? Financial instability, physical and personal uncertainty, relational isolation. And the book of Hebrews, and, and by the way, I've been planning this series for two years, thinking, when are we going to do the book of Hebrews? And, you know, I, I planned series like a year ahead, and I had this one in the, my thought we should do it last year. And isn't God kind to us as a church that we are studying the book of Hebrews right as this happens? Hasn't it just been so good? As the world around us crumbles, the book of Hebrews says, let me ensure your faith endures. As, as the world crumbles and you're tempted to give up and you're not sure and it's all collapsing... Hey, I'm going I'm to give you everything you need so your faith doesn't crumble, but endures. Hasn't God been kind to us that this happened to be the timing of this series? Isn't it a timely message? In our chaos, our faith can endure as our world crumbles. And why does our faith endure? Because ultimately we have an eternal city of joy 
which is ours now in Christ and an unshakable kingdom which we belong to. Leanne a few weeks ago talked about handrails, a kind of idea of a journey with handrails to hold on to. Five of a magnificent talk if you haven't listened to it. Uh, handrails we need to hold on to. This isn't handrails. This is our view. This is our vision. This is our perspective. This is the moment where we go, what's it all about? And we get that sort of destination view to hold on to, two views to hold on to. So let's talk about the eternal city of joy. So these Christians have come from Jewish backgrounds. So it's no surprise that the writer uses Jewish imagery and history to help them understand their new destination as Christians. And he compares two mountains, Mount Sinai, where God dwelt when he gave the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus to, uh, to, to, to Moses. And Mount Sinai is going to represent earthly cities and an and earthly identity. And then there's Mount Zion, where God dwells eternally in heaven. And it represents a heavenly city and a heavenly identity. So one mountain, Sinai, is going to be full of fear and terror and gloom. It's a mountain of law, a mountain that is not secure, a mountain that shakes and crumbles. And the other mountain, Zion, is full of welcome and joy and song, a mountain of grace, a mountain that is secure and that will never crumble. It's, the writer says seven things about both mountains really quickly. About Mount Sinai in the Old Testament, he says it's a mountain that cannot be touched. It's burning with fire. It's darkness, gloom, storm, a mountain blast. And there was a voice speaking words. That's verses 18 to 21. The mountain made everyone, including their leader Moses, fearful. You know, everyone was terrified to go near the mountain because God's presence was there. And, and if you had to go into God's presence, you had to be perfect. But the, the mountain reminded them of their sin. And, and even if an animal went near, an animal had to die. No one could get near the mountain. It's like, you know, we had a bonfire the other night uh, you know, on the last bank holiday on Friday night. You know, you can't be casual with fire. Fire is wonderful. It's beautiful. It's, mag it's magnetic. You're having this, you just, you know, we were doing marshmallows, and, but you can't mess with it. And Annabelle just got a little bit burnt. She got a bit close and she learned for the first time. Oh, I can't do that. And Mount Sinai and the presence of God's like that. It's magnificent, but you can't take it. You can't be too casual. You can't get too close because it could harm you. It could mean death. The mountain of Sinai were, revealed to the people their sin because it gave them a law a law that they could not attain to and so therefore their failure to meet the law meant death it was a terrifying experience even Moses was terrified it says there but then in contrast to the old testament mountain of law under the new covenant of grace the writer gives us seven descriptions of mount zion the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, God, the judge of all people, the spirits of righteous made perfect, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. Everything about Sinai said separation. Everything about Zion says welcome. Come in. Everything about Zion said fear and scary and uh, everything about Zion says feast and party and joy. 
And even the word there for the assembly has this idea of a party or a sporting celebration. You've come to this assembly of joy with the King of Kings, the heavenly city, thousands of angels. God can now be approached and he's approached amongst this worshiping community, these innumerable angels. And Jesus is there. And we haven't arrived at an earthly mountain, but at the gates of a glorious, accessible, eternal city. If you've been with us or if you've read Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter of those heroes of faith, do you remember what it says about Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation? Abraham was looking to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. You know, Abraham is in that city right now. Abraham died many, many years ago, 4,000 years. But he's in. He's amongst the angels. He's celebrating. He was looking forward to that city and he got to that city. He's gone before us. The interesting thing is, Hebrews says, yes, the city's in the future, but actually the city is something we can get at now. Look at verse 22. But you have come, present tense, to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. It's not just something in the future. We've already arrived. This is where we belong. Verse 23 says this, the church of the firstborn, this is where, whose names are written in heaven. This is a doctrine called the, com- the communion of saints. It means that there's believers, that there's one church of Jesus Christ on earth and in heaven, there's only one church. In other words, there's millions of followers of Jesus. Those that are in heaven that are glorified and those that haven't yet been made perfect. But whether you're in heaven or when you're, whether you're on earth, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're part of one church and all of our names are written in heaven. All of our names are there. Whether we're on earth or in heaven, our names are written there. So Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, when speaking to his disciples, he'd seen great earthly success in ministry. You know, they'd been sent into ministry and they were tempted to get their value from earthly ministry. It's a great temptation. You know, even as Christian ministers, you know, my value comes from my success in ministry. And Jesus says, do not rejoice that the Spirit submits you. Don't rejoice in, no matter how many people are interested in your ministry, no matter how successful in earthly language your ministry is. He says, don't rejoice in those things. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The disciples' names, while they were on earth, were actually written in heaven. That's where they belong. That's their destiny. Or Philippians 3, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was writing to the Philippian church. You lived in Philippi. They were citizens of Philippi, the Roman colony. But they're also citizens of heaven. That's their ultimate. That's their true. That's their final. That's their most foundational identity and citizenship. Yes, we belong to earthly cities. I live in Dublin. Some of you are, are dialing in from Limerick and some from America. We're all in different cities. But for those that follow Jesus, our true citizenship is not on earth, but in heaven. What's the writer doing? Why is all this so important then and now? Here's why. The world around is crumbling. The temptation is to turn back on Jesus. And he says, no, 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 no. You've got to know your true citizenship. Now more than ever, where do you belong? Where is your citizenship? You see, our earthly citizenship is pretty dire. Like the benefits of being an earthly citizen right now are not that great. You're separated from loved ones. You can't go to work. People are losing their jobs. There's health. You know, earthly citizenship is not great right now. He says, don't forget where your true citizenship is. A heavenly city 
There's angels, there's a feast, there's a song, there's Jesus. Abraham's there because he kept going. And we can join that song. We can participate now. In a minute, we're going to sing a song to respond to this talk. And it's a great song about our identity in Christ. And in a sense, the application of this is close your eyes and use your imagination. C.S. Lewis, magnificent with the imagination, isn't it? Close your eyes and imagine the millions of angels right now singing to Jesus. Imagine Abraham. He's gone before you. He's in the city and he's singing. And we can't meet physically. And I find that frustrating. And I long to hear 50 to 100 voices when we gather again on a Sunday and sing. It'd be great. I cannot wait. But right now, even on Zoom, you can sing with the angels. We can be lifted and empowered by the fact that we joined their song to Jesus. We're one church on earth and in heaven. I know it may sound strange because we've all grown up in a secular scientific culture, which assumes there's no spiritual realm and there's no supernatural, but heaven is not a place in the clouds. It's a realm which interacts with ours. Very much like Narnia interacts with the real world through the wardrobe. So Peter, Susan, Lucy and Edmund can participate in both realms. Or if you're the Harry Potter fan, muggles, the normal people, are not able to see the world of magic that's all around them. But there are two realms, and Harry, Hermione, Ron, and the others can participate in both. So you and I are dual citizens. We belong to two realms, one on earth and one in heaven. This is your destiny. Look around. Close your eyes. Imagine the angels. Participate with them. You want to be sure your faith doesn't crumble as the world around you crumbles? Fix your eyes on the heavenly city where your name is now enrolled. You're secure. You're safe. There's great joy in store for you. A famous hymn writer from a previous generation put it like this. I think this is beautiful. My name from the palm of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart, it remains in marks of indelible grace. Yes, I to the end shall endure. And then I love this. More happy, but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. Abraham is more happy than you and I now, but he's not more secure because your name was written in heaven too, if you're a follower of Jesus. How can I be sure? How can I know for definite? How can I be guaranteed that this is my destination? Well, he moves on to say, well, it's not just that you, but you're part of your destination is this future city of joy, which you can participate in now. He says, you belong to the unshakable kingdom of God that Jesus has inaugurated. And in verses 25 to 29, he builds his argument by the writer contrasts this shaking temporary kingdoms of the earth represented by Sinai and the stable eternal kingdom of God. And he quotes the prophet Haggai. Uh, Haggai is remembering back to Sinai, but looking forward. It's a promise. I, I wonder, is Haggai writing to our generation? Listen to this. At that time, his voice shook the earth, Haggai says. This is now um, talking about Sinai. At that time, when God's voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. In other words, God is going to shake this world, Haggai says. 
And as he shakes the world, what happens is that the things that are shakeable get revealed and the things that are secure get revealed. And one day he's going to get rid of all the shakeable things, everything that's not secure. And only what is secure will last. Psalm 46 puts it like this in poetry. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Isn't Haggai 2 and Psalm 46 exactly what is happening to our world right now? COVID-19 has got the nations in uproar, Psalm 46. The nations are in uproar. All the nations of the world right now are in uproar. God is shaking the world. Our world feels like it's in turmoil. The earth is melting away, it feels like. Kingdoms are falling. It's, you know, economies and everything is collapsing. And yet he says there's another city amongst it all. And God is with her and she will not fall. And God's going to help her. So there's a heavenly city that is secure and an earthly city which is very unstable. So again, as a citizen of Dublin, I get some benefits and privileges, but those benefits and privileges are not at all guaranteed. My health, my job, my finances, my ability to socialize with who I want to socialize with, my ability to travel more than two kilometers, my ability to go on holiday, my ability to make plans. Uh, you know, everything, weddings are canceled. I've heard just horrible, just, you know, people can't even grieve loved ones. They can't go to the funeral. Your rights, your rights in the earthly city to grieve your loved ones is not even available to you right now. And it's horrible, isn't it? Earthly cities are shaking. Kingdoms are falling. We all know of a, of a family in our church. The father hasn't yet seen his newborn son. The rights of a father to see a son you can't even have that right now. To be a citizen of Dublin right now isn't that great. I mean, it's great compared to lots of parts of the world in that sense, but there's a heavenly city, a true citizenship. So that's where he says, but you are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Nothing can threaten the benefits, the privileges, the rights of our heavenly city. We're secure eternally. We have joy guaranteed. We are loved forever we will be reunited with our loved ones those that believe in jesus you know speaking very personally i've spoken to a few of you about this the holy spirit i think the big thing i've been learning from this whole thing is my mindset is far too much on earthly things and covid19 has woken me up as a christian that my mindset needs to be in heaven less on this world and more on the world to come it was said of previous generations that they were so heavenly minded that they were no earthly good. I think I've been challenged by the Holy Spirit to say, Steve, you're so earthly minded. How much of heavenly good are you? Yeah, where's your endurance? Where's your hope? Where's your real identity? Why are you so shaken yourself so much when things go wrong in this world? Does that not show you that you're living too much for this world? I have thought more about the hope of heaven in this last six, eight weeks than I think I've ever done. The joy of it, the security of it, the certainty of it. A world without suffering and pain and death, I want that more than ever now. 
Revelation 21, 22 describes heaven like, well, the new creation is a hev- the city coming down and being reunited, you know, this heavenly city Zion coming down to earth and, and, and the whole of the earth becomes this city of God because God's presence covers the water, the, the earth as the waters cover the sea. God's city is established on earth as it is in heaven. And your name is enrolled in it. Don't you long for that world? End of trials, end of isolation, end of loneliness, end of heartache. But the challenge I've been given myself, or I guess the Holy Spirit has been given me, Steve, it shouldn't take trials. It shouldn't take hardship for you to have a longing and a view and a perspective that this earth is temporary and we're living for eternity. That should always be our mindset if we're citizens of that city. So the Apostle Paul put it like this. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul says, focus your minds on a city that is unfading, is never shakable. There's unending peace. There's eternal love. There's unimaginable glory. There's joy indescribable. That is all yours. Abraham's enjoying that now. But you're no less enrolled in that city. That's where you belong. Jesus famously put it like this, didn't he, in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and, uh, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Saying, what is in your heart? What do you really desire? The things of this earth or the things of heaven? You know, the treasure on this earth is... Things can get at it. It's not secure. Like thieves and moth and rust and, and vermin and you can be attacked. But the heavenly city, treasure in there, no one can get it. It's imperishable. Peter says, it's, you know, talks about an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. It's secure and it's, it's coming your way and you belong there. God is waking me and I think he's waking you and I think he's waking up the Western church. Our brothers and sisters in Nigeria and parts of China, and they've known suffering for many years and they have their eyes fixed on heaven more than we do. But he's waking the Western church up. He's saying, draw your gaze to the eternal city, the unshakable kingdom where you belong. Store up treasures there. Live for there. Invest in that one. It's, and, and, and if you do, you'll be of way more earthly use because you will hold the things of this earth lighter. They won't, they won't be your heart. They won't be your treasure. So you, you, can, you can be more courageous, more loving, more risk. You can take more risks. You can, you can love your neighbor in actually better ways on this earth now. You can treat the planet better now because you know, you're, you're, not, you're not trying to find your whole meaning in this world. So the Apostle Paul in another passage, and he's an example, that's why I keep quoting him, of this idea of having a heavenly mindset. And He speaks about his trials on this earth in the book of 2 Corinthians. And at one point, after mentioning many trials, he says this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. Do you see what Paul says? Outwardly, I'm shaking. Inwardly, I'm unshakable. The world is crumbling. My faith isn't. 
In fact, I'm, I'm actually being renewed. In fact, the sufferings are actually doing me some good, which I think is true for us. It's making me better inside while outside is crumbling. And then he says, our present seen world, what I can see around me, he says, yeah, that's temporary. But the unseen world, the heavenly city where Abraham now sits, you know, is, that's the cure. Jim Elliott, the martyred missionary to the Orca tribes in Ecuador, very famous missionary, young man, went out with five others and, and their wives to, to spread the gospel to a tribe that had never heard the gospel of Jesus. And just before he gave up his earthly citizenship, he knew his eternal citizenship, just before he gave up his, eternal, his, his earthly citizenship, he captures it brilliant, brilliantly, doesn't he? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. A, a story that I read many years ago called uh, Killing Fields, Living Fields is a story of the church in Cambodia from the 20s all the way through to the 80s and 90s and, and, and tracking uh, the early missionaries went there and uh, saw the church, the Great Revival, and then the, the terrors of communism and the Khmer Rouge and the persecution of Christians, but of loads and loads of people. But the church grew in the suffering. And I want to read one story that I'm very moved by and that helps me again go, Steve, fix your eyes on heaven. It's a story of a, um, of, uh, a guy called Haim, a Christian teacher, and his family. And uh, they're about to be put to death for their faith by the Khmer Rouge. The place was grim indeed and bore many gruesome signs of a place of execution. A sickly smell of death hung in the air. Curious villagers foraging in the scrub nearby lingered half hidden, watching the familiar routine as the family were ordered to dig a large grave for themselves. So the Khmer Rouge would have the families dig their own graves and then would smack them on the back of the head to fall into the grave and then they'd bury them. So they've dug their own graves. Then, consenting to Heim's request for a moment to prepare themselves for death, father, mother and children, hands linked, knelt together around the gaping pit. With loud cries to God, Haim began exhorting the Khmer Rouge and all those looking on from afar to repent and believe the gospel. Then, in panic, one of Haim's young sons leapt to his feet and bolted into the surrounding bush and disappeared. Haim jumped up and with amazing coolness and authority prevailed upon the Khmer Rouge not to pursue the lad, but allow him to call the boy back. The knots of onlookers peering around the trees, the Khmer Rouge and the stunned family still kneeling at the graveside, looking on in awe as Hein began calling his son, pleading with him to return and die together with his family. Listen to these words. What comparison, my son, he called out. Stealing a few more days of life in the wilderness, a fugitive, wretched and alone? to joining your family here momentarily around this grave, but soon around the throne of God, free forever in paradise. After a few tense minutes, the bushes parted and the lad weeping walked slowly back to his place with the kneeling family. Now we are ready to go, Heim told the Khmer Rouge. By this time, there was not a soldier standing there who had the heart to raise his hoe to deliver the death on the backs of these noble heads. Ultimately, this had to be done by the Khmer Rouge commune chief who had not witnessed these things. But few of those watching doubted that as these Christian bodies toppled silently into earthly pits, which the victims themselves had prepared, their souls soared heavenwards to a place prepared by their Lord. 
The rapid spread of news such as this, of, Christ, of certain Christians boldly bearing witness to their Lord in death, was gossiped around the countryside. You know, the father, his family's died. He's about to die. And he says, there's two citizenships, son. His young lad is freaking out. And why, why not? He says, there's two citizenships. You know, do you want to steal a few more days in a wilderness, fugitive, wretched and alone? Or do you want to join where we really belong? Free forever in paradise. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let's live on this earth with that kind of courage and fear and zeal and perspective and poise. Because nothing can jeopardize our citizenship in heaven. It doesn't matter what happens on this earth. He is no fool. He gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So how does the writer finish? He's talked about this eternal city of joy. He's talked about this unshakable kingdom, which we are receiving now. Well, he says, how do you relate to God then? That gives you all the courage you need and the faith you need and the hope you need for now. But what about your relationship with God? If, if God has given you all this, if this is what he secured for you in Jesus, how do you relate to him? And he says this, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. What should mark our response to God? as we think about our future and our current destination. Three things, thankfulness, reverence, and awe. In other words, we as Christians more than ever now should sing with a joy that maybe we've never sung with. We should believe the gospel truths more, more than we've ever believed them. They should be sweeter to us now. The thankfulness, I mean, I loved Emily's prayer, just thanking God for just so many, we should be thankful. Whilst the world around us has no answers, we have answers. We have hope. We have a future. This isn't, our, our, our meaning in life is not tied up with this world. So if we, we should be thankful people right now because we have Jesus and in him we have everything we need. But not only should we be thankful, we shouldn't take God lightly, he says. You know, yes, we live in a covenant of grace, not of law. And yes, we can approach boldly, like Mount Sinai revealed the holiness of God and the people were terrified because he was a consuming fire. And if you touch the mountain, you die. And he says, we have a blood that's better than Abel. You know, Abel, Cain killed his brother Abel in the Old Testament and the blood cried out for vengeance and revenge on his brother. And we have blood that was spilt on our behalf that cleanses us. and means we can approach God, but Jesus had to die. Jesus was shaken. Jesus felt this horrible shaking in his, in, on the cross so you and I can be secure. So don't treat God lightly. He's the same God. He's still a consuming fire. We still shouldn't be able to enter his presence, but we can because of the blood that's better than the blood of Abel, the blood of Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. But don't treat God lightly. He hasn't changed one bit since Mount Sinai. It's just our mediator is a lot, lot better than Moses. So how do we relate to God? This thankfulness mixed with reverence and awe I'm sorry, you may get sermon illustrations for the next weeks to come. I'm reading the Narnia series. But has anyone done it better than C.S. Lewis, Aslan? He's, he's good. He's the king. But he's not safe. You know, we keep being told in the Narnia series, he's not a tame lion. He doesn't, doesn't come to our beck and call. He's in charge. He's the great king. 
and um, it, at the end of uh, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, after Aslan has been killed by the White Witch and is, is raised to life again, and, and he comes back, and Lucy and Susan, who had witnessed the whole thing at night because they'd stolen away in the night, and, and they witnessed him there, obviously grieving and mourning, and see the stone table that's been cracked, and, and the mice nibbling away at the, at the, at the cords, and, and, and then Aslan's gone, and, and the table, sorry, the table cracks, and he's gone, and then they find him again, and they end up with this great moment of reuniting with Aslan and uh and and this this is how it uh, this is how it goes aslan leaped again a mad chase began round and round the hilltop he led them now hopelessly out of their reach now letting them almost catch his tail now diving between them now tossing them in the air with huge and beautiful velveted paws and catching them again and now stopping unexpectedly so all three of them rolled over together in a laughing a happy laughing heap of fur and arms and legs. It was such a romp as no one had ever had except in Narnia. And whether it was more like playing with a thunderstorm or playing with a kitten, Lucy could never make up her mind. And the funny thing was, when all three finally lay together, panting in the sun, the girls no longer felt in the least thirsty or tired or hungry. And now, Aslan said presently, to business. I feel I'm going to roar. You had better put your fingers in your ears. And they did. And Aslan stood up. And when he opened his mouth to roar, his face became so terrible that they did not dare to look at it. And they saw all the trees in front of them bend before the blast of his roaring as grass bends in a meadow before the wind. Our God is a consuming fire. He's a great lion. He's a thunderstorm. He welcomes us to play and to be enveloped. But his voice still shakes the earth. That roar causes everything to bend. So respond with thankfulness, but with reverence and awe. Do not take our God lightly. And so I finish with verse 25. There's a warning for every one of us. Let us not turn away from the one who warns us from heaven. I want you to see COVID-19 as a tremor and judgment day as the earthquake. When everything's shaken, is going to be removed and only, only the unshakable is left. If you're finding the tremor hard, how scary is the earthquake going to be? And God finally shakes our world fully forever, eternally, and the city is established. We're, God is giving us a wake up. And he's saying, oh, one day I'm going to completely purge the earth and everything that is of this earth will crumble. Everything seen will crumble. And he's giving us this wake up call to say, to make sure you're in the right kingdom. Make sure you know where your real citizenship lies. Don't get dragged away. Don't get distracted. If you're a follower of Jesus, don't take God casually. Here's the moment to hold on tighter than you've ever held on. Here's the moment to believe the things that you, you, you believe more than ever. Here's the moment to say, no, I know exactly where I belong. And this is a tremor. The earthquake hasn't arrived. And when it does, I know I'm going to be in the right kingdom. He's given us a wake-up call to say, stop storing up things on earth. Stop being so frustrated about the things on earth that go wrong. Stop being so cast down by your plans and get you know, thwarted. It's not that there shouldn't be sadness. It's not that we shouldn't be emotionally moved. It's just maybe not. You should hold it all a bit more lightly because you know where your true citizenship is. If you want a faith that doesn't crumble, 
when the world around you crumbles. Understand your identity, your true citizenship, your true destiny, the eternal city of God, the unshakable kingdom of God. Let this temporary shaking lead you to a greater appreciation of what we have in Jesus and long for the day for him to return. And if you've joined us and you're not a follower of Jesus, we're just so grateful you want to participate in these services. I'm telling you, this is the day of salvation. Now is a tremor. Get ready for the earthquake. For those in Christ, there's security, there's joy, there's complete confidence. And maybe God is waking you up to say, no, 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 you, the things you put your hope in, your confidence in, the things you trusted in, they won't deliver. Now come to me, come to him. Repent of your sin. Believe in Jesus and have a hope and a security. So brothers and sisters of Christ City Church, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Let's have a moment's pause. If you feel comfortable, just close your eyes. We're going to sing a song called In Christ Alone. It tells us of all we have in Jesus, our security, our identity, our destiny. Let's take a moment to be silent. I'll pray and then we'll sing. Lord Jesus, I pray for anyone on this call who is uncertain of you, uncertain of where they stand, whatever they would label themselves, there's just an uncertainty. Lord, now by your spirit, as we sing this song, remind them and that the gospel we believe is good news. There's nothing, it's, we have to be unashamed in it because it has the power of God for salvation in this life and the life to come. It's the, it's the good news of Jesus and his death and resurrection that means we can enter boldly the presence of God without fear, and we can have hope of an eternal city of joy that's unshakable. We're so grateful we get to be part of this kingdom. We want to be thankful, but we also want to worship you with reverence and awe because you are a consuming fire. You're not to be, you're not tame, you're not safe, but you're good and you're the king, and we thank you for that. And so as the world around us crumbles, as things, as kingdoms fall, as nations are in uproar, we thank you that you're within this city that's going to last forever and we our names are enrolled there teach us at this time heavenly father what it is where our true identity our true citizenship is and we're so grateful there's an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade that has been kept for us and so fix our eyes there that we might be of great earthly use because our eyes are fixed on heaven and we pray that in jesus name amen